this is the Data Privacy Detective. And today we're going to talk about blockchain and pseudonymization. Now, don't go away because there's some real revelations that we're going to talk about today. But how these ideas can really protect our personal privacy. And by doing that, it, it can reduce data breach, uh, minimize identity theft, and the misuse of personal information. And with us today, as our guest, is Philip Shoemaker. Philip is the executive director of Identity.com. Philip, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Joe. Now, Identity.com, actually, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization. That itself is interesting. And it provides tools for developers to identify easily their customers without compromising uh, data security or personal privacy. It's a fascinating idea. And one of the slogans I noted on your website, identity.com, is putting the power of self-sovereign identity into every developer's hands so that users truly own their digital identity. Well, Philip, we all know and uh, that identity theft and data breaches are, just continue to rise. I mean, uh, all 50 states in the United States have breach notifications, some going back 20 years, and yet it just increases and increases and increases. And I think you're onto something here and not focusing so much on data breach, but on prevention of, of how this all happens. Now, you've developed a means of, of, of protecting personal information through decentralized identifiers. So let's pause there. What are you talking about when you say decentralized identifiers? So a decentralized identifier, also known as a DID or a DID, is basically a specification that came out of the W3C, uh, the World Wide Web Consortium, and the Decentralized Identity Foundation, the DIF. And these are groups, uh, open source uh, nonprofit groups that aim to create a better future, right? Let's make a standard that everybody can leverage and, uh, and ultimately... And if uh, I may, that's a, that's a global group. That's It's a kind of industry right. people around the world uh, hoping to standardize some of what we deal with. It, exactly. And since the internet was created without an identity layer, people are, everybody created their own identity solutions, Facebook, Apple, Google. And these were consortiums that said, hey, let's solve this problem. Let's create an identity layer. So the decentralized identifier was created. Now we are involved in the creation of that spec. We're involved in the implementation of it. But we're our own company leveraging it for uh, uh, for our nonprofit to be able to put it out there in as many people's hands as possible because we think it's powerful. And uh, as I understand it, you really give it to developers who then can work with companies that hire them to, to do this, really, which then benefits all of us because our name or take, take a social security number. A lot of banks, uh, other people, uh, you know, they use this as an identifier you know, tell me your last four digits or whatever it may be, or put the whole thing in there to make sure that the bank really knows it's me they're talking to. That's a problem because now that data is in flight and it's in more hands. And so how does a decentralized identifier did have to do with that? Yeah. So it's, it's a great point about the uh, social security number, right? Nobody, this wasn't created to ultimately be the the uh, a granddaddy of all identifiers to identify us as humans in the United States. It was not intended that way. If so, there might've been precautions put around it or some protections like a pin code associated with it or something more than just getting your, 
your uh, your social security number. As as you and I both know that people are are very worried about identity theft, and they should be because our social security numbers are out there. It's not because we're sloppy with it. It's because companies that store this data in these honeypots might have vulnerabilities that people can get access to. So social security numbers are a really bad way to identify yourself, much like we're discovering now that people use phone numbers to identify themselves. And then they're susceptible to SIM swaps and other things that also lead to identity theft. So there's all these identifiers that people use to identify me and you, and they should be using a decentralized identifier, which is a private key, right? It uses public key infrastructure, PKI, that allows you to say this key, these set of numbers, these seemingly random numbers and letters represents me. This is my identity. And nobody can spoof that unless they have the private key, right? I issue people the public key, they can see it, that represents me. But if you want the private key, you need to come to me myself, right? And so it's, it's a little concept. like giving us a pseudonym. It's a pseudonymizing exactly. who we are. I mean, it's what J.K. Rowling has done with, what is it, Robert Galbraith? Who would know that's her? Well, millions of people right. know it. He's revealed it. But uh, that's what you're talking So it's pseudonymization. You talk about a V2 protocol. Now, let's pause on that. This is not the rockets that bombed Britain. What is a V2 protocol? Yeah, so we created our gateway protocol last year. Mm -hmm. Literally, we released November of last year. And uh, we, we've had good uptake. We've had hundreds of thousands of passes, what, what we call these tokens, these DIDs issued on our through our protocol. V2 was just toughening it up, going through some audits to make sure that the code was, uh, was secure. We're uh, adding monetization so people can pay us for our services. You know, we're a nonprofit, but we do need to keep the lights on. And uh, that's why we charge a very small fee. And, uh, and we've released it for a variety of developers to be able to incorporate, right? We're not going directly after the user. We want to do the underpinnings to make it easy for app developers and web developers to be able to identify customers without doing the bad things like we see the Facebooks and the Googles and the Equifaxes and other people doing of storing these honeypots of, of identities. Instead, they're decentralized, which means you own it and you store it's it. It's a little bit like the open source approach to Absolutely. Where, where this is shared, uh, nobody charges for it, but there certainly are people who need to then apply it and, and they can make a living doing that and, and, and so on. Well, this exactly. is kind of blockchain thinking and, and help, help our listeners understand that there are keys involved when you're going to move data from one place to another, as simple as me going out and browsing this Thanksgiving week for something to buy. And, and so I think you're applying blockchain thinking to pseudonymize who we are. So if somebody ends up with a series of ones and zeros, digital information, they don't know our social security number or our address or our phone number. Is that the essence of it? Yes, exactly. That is absolutely the essence. Just discuss with us, Philip, a little bit, uh, an example or two of past hacks and breaches. Now, you know, many people may, may think that data breaches are all when some employee at a company falls for a phishing or a smishing attack, but really a lot of it has nothing to do with that. It's built into software bugs and the system and the infrastructure and the IT and the OT systems we have. So just give us a couple of insights into some past hacks or breaches that would have been avoided if we'd had this sort of DID or decentralized identifier system. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, one of the most important things here is that when you use a decentralized identifier, is that the company that's identifying you is not storing a copy of that data on their servers. 
right? Those things, when, when people store copies of our identities or our login credentials, et cetera, on a, on a server, that's called a honeypot, right? And a honeypot brings the bees. And in this case, the bees are hackers. Because imagine if you could infiltrate one company, say uh, Equifax, right? Because that's been hacked before and get millions of people's identities. I mean, that's the holy grail. That's what you want. You want to hack one place to get million identities. With us, a decentralized identifier, there's no data being stored on servers. You're storing it on your own device. And if you're storing it on your own device, they have to come grab that device from you, hack that device, multiple layers of, of encryption, which as we know, we've seen Apple and Google, right? Uh, uh, people have a hard time getting that data out of there and hacking that data. So for us, that's the way to do it is you store it on the thing that the person uses the most. And in this day and age, it's their phone. So Right. And it moves beyond multi-factor authentication, which itself is a very good idea. But uh, it, it takes it one step further, makes it much harder, doesn't it? And it may be at most a hacker is going to get one person's information, maybe, but uh, not the whole uh, millions of people companies. That, that's right. And 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 the, the desire to hack one person's phone for just their information, it, it's for most of us, it doesn't make sense. I mean, look, if they want to go after Elon Musk's phone, I get Elon it, right? would be a target, right? let's face it. But if I he have any privacy left, I'm not sure he wants any privacy. <laughs> I don't think so. Most of us aren't Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a good example. Well, it seems that this approach might be a way of decreasing personal identity risk and increasing our individual uh, privacy. And I, I wonder, uh, you know, the law should never say, please use this company by law. But I wonder if regulators shouldn't begin to, around the world, say, we have standards that you, you should meet if you want to be a software provider or, for that matter, uh, an Internet of Things device provider. I mean, shouldn't right. this be built into systems which even though people will get hacked and the hackers will continue their work, uh, it, it really wouldn't it reduce greatly the risk to personal privacy and frankly, corporate data as well. It absolutely would. And you're absolutely right about, about, a, about a government saying that we're going to use one company's in, uh, technology. That's why we support these standards, right? If you support the DID standard, or there's another standard called verifiable credentials, if you support those standards, the government does, then you could use all of us, right? And the, these identities would be interchangeable on these systems. The security is still there, the privacy is still there, and the uh, the attestations are there that, yes, this is, a, this is a truly Joe. He was identified by the United States. This is a valid identity. All of that, all those checks and balances are in place through the DIDs, and we would just ingest them at identity.com. And, and that, doing that worldwide, would just make a lot of communications easier, logins, new accounts, et cetera, and to be able to identify people uh, rather easily. But at the same time, we're not looking at an, uh, a surveillance state, right? This is the exact opposite, because what makes itself sovereign is if somebody wants some of your information, you will get a notification on your phone that says Chase Bank wants your social security number, your name, your phone number, et cetera. And you can choose to allow that or not. If you say decline, none of that information goes to Chase. You're not going to get your home loan right? because they need that for the home loan. But you know what information they're getting and what they're going to do with it. Right. And, and, and your, your offering is really standard setting, in essence. It's offered to enterprises 
rather than directly to individuals. In other words, uh, you're not saying an individual ought to go figure out how to create software or private keys or anything else. We need to have those available if this is going to unfold as a, as a way of dealing with data privacy and security. That's right. And we did, we decided, you know, we made it, there were a lot of companies out there going directly after the consumer for identities. And for us, we thought it was not, not a great model. Let's one, make us a nonprofit and you make us a nonprofit because we want people to embrace our code, to embrace our technology and leverage it uh, without fear of us competing with them directly, like a lot of companies do. And two, we wanted to use existing standards so we could be uh, uh, portable and interoperable with all of those other standards. And once you implement this, uh, we, we decided not to go directly after the users. That's a very clouded, uh, crowd, sorry, crowded market. For us, yes. we want to go after the developers in order to make it easy. Let's put us in the underpinnings of all these apps and our technology will make its way into people's hands over time. One other thing that uh, you might help listeners understand, uh, we, I, I think uh, we all pretty much know generally what blockchain technology is, but you use uh, CBC tokens. What is a CBC token? When, when we were originally founded, there was a company called Civic Technologies, and Civic Technologies issued a CVC token to do identity verification. The idea was that they believed in a tokenized world, which meant like going into an arcade where you have to buy their tokens to play each game. You couldn't use a quarter. You have to exchange your quarter for a token and play that game, right? So there was this belief uh, early on in, in crypto that you issue a token and people will use that token to issue identities on the blockchain. And that's a great way of tracking the identity usage, et cetera. Now, uh, when Civic, when I decided to start identity.com, I met with the folks at Civic, uh, the CEO and chairman of the board there, Vinny Lingham, and I decided to spin out a nonprofit, a 501c4. So we completely separated from Civic. But in that, in that split, we received a lot of tokens from them in order to help validate this marketplace and validate this network. So a CVC is another token like a Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum, but it's focused on making identifications happen. So behind the scenes, when somebody uses our, our protocol, tokens are moved from uh, one company to another to pay for the, the usage of that identity services. But it's not a currency itself. It's really use of, you know, most use of blockchain isn't about currency. It's, it's just a way of thinking about uh, things. And that's, that's, right. what, that's what's going on here. Exactly. Well, Philip, uh, this is just a great tour of something that people really, businesses should, uh, governments, uh, organizations, universities should all be looking at very carefully. As to individuals, what advice do you have for those individuals? Uh, 7 billion around the world, or maybe it's eight now. Um, what can we do about this? I, I take it we can talk to our legislators, we can talk to public officials, we can support things like the, the White House's recent release of an AI Bill of Rights and what that should mean. We could take a look at the push down by the US government now to federal agencies to make sure software is not defective when it's sold. Right. What, what, what else can an individual do to further personal privacy in the ways you're talking about? Well, first of all, you know, pay careful attention to your use of data and use of, of services, right? We know, we didn't know this when we joined Facebook back in the day, but Facebook is giving us an amazing service for free, uh, but it's not really free, 
right? We are paying by because we're the product. Our data is the product. Right. And so pay careful attention when you join web services and other things like that. They give you technology for free because you have to wonder what they're doing with your data. And that's your identity. That's your online social data, uh, uh, social identity. And those are things you need to protect. The other thing I would say is that uh, the U.S. and other countries, so Great Britain is looking at doing this. Paraguay just issued a Digital Identity Act. But the U.S. is working on a Digital Identity Act. Uh, and uh, a, a Representative Bill Foster is leading it. And the concept there is that he wants the U.S. government to be able to issue digital identities to people, which I applaud. I think that's a great step in the right direction. The problem is there's nothing about making it decentralized, right? So what that means is that no. there will be more identities. In it's another social pots. security problem. Exactly. If, if we do that. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, so we it's have great to, to reach out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out with uh, with educated points of view. And say, Bill, good idea, but exactly. And so we had a great meeting with Bill and uh, and a few others last week in D.C. to discuss this, and hopefully we'll get some traction. But I also met with a a, a member of Parliament of two weeks ago to discuss the same thing. And, UK uh, Parliament, to, yes, the UK Parliament, yeah. because to right. me it's important to be able to to push this because look. I think one of the things is that one, people don't want to be identified. And I yeah. get that, right? We, we, we want to keep our surveillance state to a minimum. But there are certain regulated activities like banking and other things where you need to be identified. That's just the rule of the, the land, right? So we need to do that. And uh, to do that, let's do it in a way that maintains as much of your privacy as possible. And that's why DIDs are great to do that. Whether you use our service or somebody else's, just start holding your own identity be in control of it. Don't let others control your identity for you because that's how we get into a surveillance state and that's how you become the product and people are selling all this information about you without you knowing. And what you're really telling us as individuals is we should be in charge of deciding how private we want to be. It may be one thing that we want our book known and we or we want a, the latest movie we made. We, if we're an actor, we want to be famous, but that doesn't mean we want our personal bank account details known. That's right. And so it's a question of how we guard the privacy that we really want. It's a way of empowering ultimately all of us to take charge of who we are and with whom it's shared. Well, Philip, thank you for this very interesting tour on a a really important subject. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. As always, I'll remind us all, protecting your personal data begins with you.